Welcome to another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. Alongside Blue Ribbon's Chris Dorch, I'm Kevin Ingram. Always uh, great to speak with you and talk some college hoops. Of course, uh, in the offseason, which doesn't really feel like there's much of an offseason. Coming up in just a little bit, we're going to have uh, one of our best guests, Fran Fischel, is going to join us. ESPN analyst, and these days, uh, one of the head coaches for USA Basketball in the FIBA three-on-three tournaments. So uh, looking forward to visiting with Fran coming up in just a few minutes. Chris, what's going on, man? Uh, you know, portal and NBA draft, buddy. Uh, you're right. There's We talked about this last podcast. There's really no off season, And I've been working on uh, mainly I, – I write almost 30 schools for Blue Ribbon College basketball yearbook. So I keep folders on every team. And I, and I try to follow their comings and goings uh, with the portal. And it's made it – more challenging, but I got to say it's it's kind of fun. I don't know. When I grew up loving sports, I always used to like trades, and I used to uh, like the, the little section in the agate type and scoreboard about transactions, yep. you know, yep. and uh, and so it, it's kind of become like that. I know we're going to talk about it with Fran later, but it's like now it's almost like uh, the pros uh, where your general managers are getting together in the yep. hot stove league uh and they're trading it's like we'll give you three players for two players on a scholarship to be named later <laughs> right, uh, right. you know and, and what it's done i think it's it's fundamentally changed how college basketball coaches have to work this time of year they're usually working on their schedule and, and i'm sure some of them still are but the big announcements that you would see in in april and may would be games that are going to be played in the upcoming season and and tournaments that have finalized their their uh, uh list of teams now the news is you know who's in the portal who's uh you know who are we going to sign there there's still hundreds of kids in there including some very big names and i just wrote a big story uh on blue ribbon's uh uh newsletter blue ribbon uh dot substack.com about several coaches are dipping down into division two uh boston college got a kid that started out at an niia then he went to d2 now he's going to try the acc uh south alabama has signed not one not two but three division two kids ole miss has signed a kid from the division two national championship team as has marquette so i I talked to some of the coaches about it and, and they said, well, now you got to be more creative uh, where you find players. And the other thing is so many high school players are starting to get overlooked that they're having to go to D2 and NIA. So uh, now it's become quite common for uh, upper level D1 schools to reach down to D2. And uh, on the flip side of that, there are so many kids in the portal that there's not enough D1 scholarships. So right. a lot of these kids are transferring to schools I've never even heard of. <laughs> I, ne- I don't know what classification they're in. I didn't even know they had basketball. Um, so uh, it's it's gotten kind of crazy. But like I said, I I, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a fan of the transaction. One year, it might have been a couple of years, Sports Illustrated did a great uh, piece. They took five names at random out of the transaction section of one day's activities. 
and they did profiles on everybody that was involved in those transactions. And I just thought that was the coolest uh, story. I, I wish I could find that. I, I need to find that. But I don't know. I've always been interested in trades and movement and getting yourself better uh, through uh, astute talent acquisition. Yeah, it seems like, you know, when you look at the NBA, the, the offseason is almost as big of a deal as the actual season is when you see player movement and building super teams and all that. I, I, it feels like college basketball has, has moved in that direction where the, the player movement is almost as big a story as what goes on during the season. So uh, as far as just a, a quick thought on the here and now, anybody stand out that's that's made a decision or decisions that remain to be made with the NBA Combine, the G League camp, and all that going on this week, uh, which could have an impact on uh, maybe whether guys come back or whether they go to the NBA or enter the draft or, or whatever? Yeah, there's a couple of guys that are still out there. I don't know how they uh, – some of them are involved in uh, G League camp. Any Anybody that got invited to the NBA combine is pretty much gone. But I, the big one to me is Tyrese Hunter, the transfer from, from Iowa State. He's a point guard, had a great freshman year. Uh, really be interested to see where he goes. There's a kid named Isaiah Mosley from Missouri State. Uh, big-time scorer. He got National Player of the Week uh, earlier this year, uh, but he can score it from all three levels. Uh, another kid named Pete Nance, a, a big man from Northwestern. These are all guys that, you know, depending on where they go, Malachi Smith from Chattanooga, a big point guard, uh, A.J. Green, a shooter from Northern Iowa. These are all guys that could have instant impact. And I and I know, you know, several several power conference schools uh, have scholarships to fill. So uh, this wrangling is going to be going on through June. Uh, But I'm grateful for this. Last year, uh, the NCAA allowed players to put their name in the transfer without penalty uh, portal uh, until July 1. Thank God that ended (laughs) May 1st. There's still going to be probably some, uh, you know, uh, there'll be some exceptions made. Uh, I, I would think, and guys will be allowed to transfer twice without penalty. Uh, but for the most part, the, the movement is done in terms of leaving, and now we just have to see uh, where they're arriving. And we should mention uh, one final five-star recruit has uh, made a decision. Julian Phillips, a small forward, number six uh, small forward overall, uh, committed to Tennessee over Auburn and also the G League Ignite team. Uh, 670s from South Carolina went to link your prep in Missouri. So he becomes Tennessee's sixth five-star that Rick Barnes has landed in the last four classes, probably plays immediately. And they, they feel like he's a guy who can play inside and out. So that, that was a really good get for the uh, volunteers there. Yeah, that, that was huge. I, I, here's how much of a nerd I am. I actually watched that on CBS streaming. I just wanted to see where he went. Uh, Auburn, it, it, it's funny, LSU's recruiting class after Way, Will Wade got fired was plundered. One kid went to LSU or Louisville. Uh, this kid, big kid named Johan Traore, already signed with Auburn. So it looked like for a while there, maybe Auburn would get two former LSU uh, signees. But he ends up going to Tennessee. I think he slots right in as a starter. Uh, Rick likes to play fast now, and this kid – is a three-level scorer. He's long. He's a prototypical NBA 
small forward. Uh, he'll be a one-and-done guy, but he'll definitely have an impact. Rick Barnes also chosen the uh, new chair of the Rules Committee for College Basketball. Uh, a couple things from that group. Uh, they plan to better define rules on flopping, a proposal for a Class B technical foul with one free throw for the opposing team. Bob Huggins said the warnings weren't enough of a deterrent, and I would agree with him on that. Also, experimental technology will continue to be allowed. Conferences can ask you to you know, video on, on the bench. Saw them have the, the tablets out last year. Uh, changes in the timeout structure of the second half. Uh, they're they're going to experiment with uh, the the timeouts at seventeen under seventeen minutes under fourteen eleven eight and four uh, that would kind of take care of the media break that happens when the first call timeout of the second half would happen you just have five planned timeouts versus you get in a situation where you get down at the end there's been no call timeout and then you get uh, you know a long delay in the last minute of a game when somebody's trying to set something up so I think that sounds like a good idea as well so a little, little taste of what's gone on with the rules committee and all those things sound like uh, sensible decisions to me I think so I, I've talked to Rick a lot over the years uh, when he was just on the committee now he's ascended to its chair and he'll be an opinionated uh, chairman and I do like the flopping. I, I think you've ha- you've got to have definitive punishment for that if you want to root it out. And there's no question. <laughs> there's no question. Uh, there's people that flop. Uh, uh, it, so, some people are notorious for it, even. And a warning just doesn't cut it. People are still going to try it. Uh, I like the technology. I mean, heck, uh, my doctor uses an iPad. You know, uh, so why can't coaches? Yeah. Uh, and and there's, I mean. I guess I can say this by using video on my golf swing. <laughs> it, it sometimes helps. Sure it uh, does. I, I noticed a flaw in my golf swing on the backyard security camera uh, of our house <laughs> uh, when I was when I was practicing. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I've been doing that for years. And uh, it really helps. So I, I could see, you know, coaches, it, I don't know, it, it might be a lot to take in, but you can show – instant mistake video to kids and they're like oh yeah i better slide my feet defensively instead of reach uh and then as far as the timeouts i'm all for anything that that uh, has some organization uh to the timeout process and also uh, as you said maybe eliminate some delays at the end yeah, going back to the video, uh, we were out at Top Golf last fall. My wife took video of me uh, hitting some some golf balls at Top Golf. I erased all of them, but the good one uh, actually there there are two good ones out of about fifteen, and so I kept those and got rid of the rest of them. Uh, there, there are too many mistakes <laughs> to analyze on that golf swing. Uh, a couple other things going on, uh, the NCAA and the NIL rules. A group of athletic directors and conference commissioners last week came out with new guidelines saying that boosters should not have contact with prospective college athletes or their connections and that the NCAA could investigate if boosters or so-called these collective groups are found to be in violation. Uh, that was met with a, a collective eye roll, I think, but – uh, there it is. I don't know where that goes. Nobody's reported any violations as of yet, and I, I don't know that we'll uh, get any of those either. Um, the Athletic had a great story. They quoted a sports agent, Russell Smith, who said, I think it's adorable that the NCAA is acting as if they're going to crack down on anything. And, uh, and, and you know, because, because of uh, the Supreme Court decision, uh, as soon as – the NCAA tries to squelch a deal. They're they're going to go. Uh, they're going to find themselves in court. Right. And and I know uh, Gene Smith, uh, the Ohio State athletic director, said, "Hey, 
bring it on. You know, we'll, we'll probably be in court, but we need to do something about this. And I agree. There are, there are some people who thinks why put limits on it. Uh, but I think for, as far as competitive, uh, imbalance, that's, that's what I worry about. Now, having thought a lot about it, uh, and, I traded some texts with Jay Billis. Uh, he's a deep hoop thinker, as you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I heard him on, on Rich Eisen's podcast, and he said a couple of profound things. And one was uh, that he said, people say we've never had that much, this much upheaval in college basketball. And he said, that is not true. In 1984, schools actually sued the NCAA. If you can think about how laughable this is now, when they tried to tell them how many games they could have on television. Now it's like every game on television. So we got through that. And so I thought, you know, we're going to get through this. We're going to find a way. So I, I, I found what I think are two positives from the NIL besides the obvious. Uh, the first is that now players who would have taken a chance on the NBA draft against all better judgment, and gone, gone on to take a shot, didn't make it, and then become basketball gypsies playing all over the planet. Uh, now they've got a chance to stay in school for good money, save a little bit of it, and then, you know, maybe improve their game and uh, finally take their chance at the NBA. I, I think that helps college basketball if better players stay longer. Two, uh, let's – you know, let's not sugarcoat things. Cheating uh, was and maybe is rampant. Uh, we found that out for sure if we didn't know it already with the FBI wiretaps of 2017. But now uh, maybe NIL levels out the playing field because those those select few teams, I'm not saying everybody did, but those that really bent the rules, there goes their advantage sure. because now everybody is going to be able to to offer whatever they can. So I think those are two positives. Uh, it, it is crazy and it, it's going to change, but I remember a time when I didn't like the three point goal. And then I wrote an article for the sporting news, my first ever uh, freelance piece, got 125 bucks for it. And it, it paid for Winnie the Pooh stuff for my son's nursery. And I'm like, I think I can dig the three-point goal. <laughs> I used to think it was a circus shot, you know, NBA, yeah. red, white, and blue ball. But uh, I'm its biggest fan right now. Yeah, I, th- and, I think it, I think the three-point line. It didn't take line, me long to get there. Right. I think the three-point line and the shot clock have been two of the best things that ever happened in college basketball no uh, over the years. Chris, our guest this week is ESPN analyst Fran Fischilla, and he has a new gig these days along with Jen Rosati, named the head coaches for USA Basketball three-on-three uh, three in the uh, FIBA tournaments. Fran, welcome. Uh, great to see you. As always, really appreciate you spending a few minutes with us. Thanks, Kevin. It's always a pleasure to, to be on with you and uh, one of my favorite basketball people, uh, Chris Storch. Right back at you, buddy. And uh, to set this up, I thought this was so cool. From the time I was old enough to pick up a basketball through yeah. grade school to to high, uh, high school, college pickup games, even as an adult when I couldn't play anymore, I always thought the purest form of basketball was three-on-three half court. And yeah. when when I saw it start to become a thing and then it got to the Tokyo Olympics, you know, 
Great, great news. And then I was really pumped when I, I always check out USA Basketball site this time of year to see who's on the under 18 or whatever. And then I saw you. How did you get this gig? You're coaching the three three on three team. That is so awesome. Yeah, there's a lot of layers to this, Chris. First of all, you're exactly right. I grew up in the playgrounds of Brooklyn, New York, uh, you know, the city game, supposedly, yep. and it was. Uh, and I grew up playing three on three and uh, the cerebralness playing against the older guys, the college guys coming home to the neighborhood, um, you know, was where I kind of learned the game of basketball. Many of us did the same thing in places like Indianapolis and Detroit and L.A., Venice Beach, whatever. So, um, yeah, I, I've always loved that form of basketball. I followed FIBA 3x3 here in recent years. I did the Olympics for NBC, and we had a 3x3 component of which I've learned a lot about that sport in the two weeks uh, that I was up in Stanford, Connecticut at NBC Sports. And when M- when USA Basketball asked me to head the men's side, kind of build a program, if you will. Uh, obviously, the goal is to get to the Olympics and win a gold medal, but just build a 3x3 program with people that are familiar with how to play, um, Get, get it out there in the general public, social media, et cetera. It was right up my alley. Of course, I still have a basketball Jones, and um, it works out perfectly. You know, I'm kind of excited about it. So uh, who is your pool of players to draw from? And and if you advance to the Olympics, you would be our Olympic coach. Is that well, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know that that's the case just yet, but because uh, right. we, you know, but I'm – you know, I'm part of the process, I guess, you know, and, and there've been other teams before us um, that have represented the United States, Princeton, a team uh, led by Kareem Maddox and Robbie Hummel. Uh, Kareem played at Princeton. Uh, they've had a long history of being involved in three-on-three basketball, going back to John Rogers, who was a successful player at Princeton and now one of the prim- premier mutual fund uh, people in, the, in our country. Um, Harlem, uh, USA, a bunch of guys out of New York City that can really play the game. They were all college players. So there have been people that come before us, but now what we're trying to do is grow the sport, grow the talent base. And to answer your early part of your question, I think the level of play is G League level. I mean, guys that we think will represent us this summer as we take the USA basketball team on the pro tour in Europe, will we'll be primarily G League players uh, that are good players, that were really good college players. And in some cases, they've already had successful G League careers. Some of them still want to play in the NBA. I will tell you guys this. It's an amazing sport for player development. In my 12 days up in Springfield this past couple of weeks, we had guys get better that are going to – it's going to translate to five-on-five. Five. The speed of the game, the agility, the conditioning, the coordination – quick decision-making is made for guys to get better, even on, even in five on five situations. As a coach, do you, do you have to think about it a little bit differently though? Uh, just the way the game is structured. Absolutely. Kevin, it's fast paced, 12 second shot clock. You don't convert to the other end. You have to convert out to your man. The ball only has to get out past the three point line and it's in back in play back at you on a defensive end. And, uh, the, the hardest thing about having a bunch of kids who are really talented that we have now, but haven't played until this past two weeks is just repetitions and uh, quick reaction. Like, damn, I've just forgot, gave my guy half step and now he hit three, <laughs> which by the way is worth two. 
because yeah. inside the arc it's one point, outside right. the arc it's two points. Right. So it's a unique sport. There's no 30 second elevator pitch. I got to explain it to people. <laughs> once, once they get it, they you know it's I I would say two analogies. It's like beach volleyball to volleyball. Yep. Yeah. And it's like the 200 meter hurdles to the mile run. Because in a 200 meter hurdles, it's it's conditioning, endurance, and agility. Yeah. And so it's uh, it's very fast paced, and uh, it's definitely hard to learn. Trust me, you could be a good player, but it's it's going to take our guys' repetitions over and over. Since we've known one another, I uh, I know you've had that coaching, Jones. But we've talked about this over the years and texted. I, you're my favorite uh, color analysis. Uh, analyst and and I don't know that you'd ever want to part from that but now you sort of get to have your cake and eat it too don't you 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 get to have that coaching Jones but you can still do television yeah I haven't had grandkids yet but it's probably what people tell me like you get the grandkids for a little little while they get to give them back and that's kind of where I am with 3x3 I mean that's perfect yeah to represent the United States in basketball for me is a huge thrill it's something I've always wanted to do um, the gear is great. USA basketball, you know, that's, yeah. that's a thrill just to be able to represent the country. Um, and you know me, even when I broadcast a game, I think from a coach's point of view, sure, I still, I still do a lot of clinics with younger coaches. And to Kevin's point, uh, it's a different game. I've had to learn the nuances of the sport. And I certainly don't have them all down, but a lot of it translates the spacing, the cutting, the movement, um, the IQ, which is, really prevalent in 3x3 because there's so much space with which to trick people but yep. you still have to you still have to learn a lot and I'm in that process now and uh my team and I were kind of all learning together and uh all I'm trying to do is help build a program that can you know compete in the Olympics and maybe compete for a gold medal someday our guest is Fran Fischilla, ESPN analyst. Uh, as for a couple of the, the topics of the here and now in college basketball, of course, a lot of talk about the transfer portal. You know, when you look at that, do some players need to make sure that they're being realistic about the opportunities out there? And on the flip side, for for some coaches, has it become a way to manage the roster without looking like they're managing the roster in some ways? There's so many unintended consequences of <clears throat> this freedom of movement for the players. Um, some good and some we'll see. Maybe not so good. Um, high school kids are getting left behind now because so yeah. many coaches, yeah. you know, Andy Kennedy, uh, I heard Andy say, we're not going to recruit many high school players anymore when we can go get two-year guys that transfer from other D1 schools. And if you look at his success this year, it's exactly what he had. Um, yeah. So there, I think, Kevin, there's a lot of unintended consequences down the pike. Right now what we have is um, we have chaos. It's, let's face it. Um, you could say it's not, but it is. Um, is it good chaos for the kids to have the ability to move around in some ways, maybe, but in other ways, I think there's lessons that aren't learned about handling adversity, yeah. fighting through adversity, making yourself better, not having everything handed to you. There's those tried and true old school truisms that are, are left by the wayside. There's also the idea that kids, if they don't perform, are going to be asked to leave the school. So it's not just a player wanting to transfer out of a school, it's, hey, listen, we don't think you're good enough, so you need to you need to get out of here so we can go get three guys out of right. the portal. So there's a lot of things that are going to go on that we're going to see. Um, the whole idea of double transfers, we've already seen this week guys getting waivers, you know. 
so it's chaos. I don't care about the chaos. I'm coming to the end of my career, but um, I'm not even gonna, I'm not even going to read Blue Ribbon until October 15th. I don't know how <laughs> I don't know how Chris is going to put together a Blue Ribbon yearbook this summer because who the hell knows who's going to be on each team. <laughs> It's crazy. It's fundamentally changed, friend, um, the, the way uh, coaches work. I'll give you an example. Usually this time of year in April and May, the news coming out of colleges is, oh, we've scheduled this game for ESPN or, or we've made this addition to our schedule. But yeah. now people are still grinding. I mean, Rick Barnes, your friend and ours, yeah. still has three open scholarships. And you, you know, Rick, he's not panicking at all. Right, right. Uh, but but some people have had to rebuild. Uh, Mike White at Georgia, uh, Matt McMahon at LSU. You know, they've all got several transfers, and they're still grinding even mid to late May and probably into June. Well, you, I think Chris, your point is you can't build a program anymore. Um, no. You know, there's a few. There's probably five schools in the country can do this. Villanova has, Virginia has. Yep. Gonzaga has done it, but and they've always been ahead of the curve on the transfers. But yep. you cannot build a program anymore. Basically, a college basketball coach is a G League coach general manager. You're basically yep. building for one year at a time. You're not building a program. Yep. You'll never see again the Dukes, the Carolinas, the Kentuckys have the freshmen come in and develop, and they get to be juniors and seniors. Um, it's just not going to happen anymore. And I th- it's going to be interesting to see what fan bases do with this. We know they'll root for Kansas out in out in the in the Sunflower State if it says Kansas across the front. But the connection to four year players like Ochai Abaji, um, that's that's pretty much gonna go by the wayside. And from that standpoint, the coaches is basically building a team year by year. And it's the reality of the situation, but it's not any fun either. I mean, it's not yeah. why we got it, it's not why we got into this. Um, you know, we want we really did want to help kids. And have them get their education. You can't even talk about graduation anymore. <clears throat> That's ridiculous. Um, hate yeah. to say it that way, but I used to talk about my graduation rate. How can you do that anymore when you're only going to have a player for one or two years, either on the front end or the back end? Think of all the kids transferring to schools. They're going to lose all these credits. And yeah. so there's so many unintended consequences. Yeah. I, I could go on for 20 minutes on this. <laughs> Uh, similarly, Fran, the NIL has produced some unintended consequences. What do you think of that? Well, I think I think the 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 theory behind NIL is a positive one. Yes. Uh, I think we all feel that way. Um, but what we've done with this is we've just pretty much put cheating out into the open, honestly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's yeah, we all know that. I mean, yes, kids deserve and should have gotten more through the years because of their name, image, and likeness. But unless it's regulated, and it looks like it's going to take federal leg- legislation because of the, the way the courts have decided this, the NCAA, yeah. sadly, and not surprisingly, has no juice in this area. Uh, until it gets regulated and under control, basically, you're going to have the cheating that we always knew what was going on in certain conferences at a high level, and also mo- many places around the country, now it's just out in the open. It's legalized. And uh, that genie's out of the bottle. It is never, ever coming back. It's not coming back. No. Huh? And that's no. why I feel I feel bad for people getting into this business now, um, you know, who don't want to be shysters. But if you want to be yeah. a really good basketball coach, 
you either want to coach at Division Two, Division Three, the Ivy League, or you got to be a shyster. And that's yeah. a Yiddish word, by the way. Look at <laughs> no, I, I like shyster. My dad used to use that word. <laughs> Fran, Fran, as we finish up here, do you think some of these issues that we've just discussed, whether it's NIL or their transfer portal, yeah. is hastening the departure of some great coaches, like a guy like Jay Wright? I mean, we've seen Roy and Coach K also retire. I mean, they are farther down the road in their careers. But how, yeah. how do you think those things are playing in the coaches who've been around a while and made that money making these decisions? Well, in Jay's case, I, I kind of think, knowing I have a little insight there, that this was a great decision by him. I don't think it had anything to do with NIL and transfers because, number one, they're never hit by the transfer portal or rarely. Sure. And, and, and I, NIL, they would have worked that out. Um, I, I don't. I think, you know, I talked to Kelvin Sampson about this early in the summer, Kevin, and he said, hey, when you and I started, there was no shot clock. That's true. That's how old we are. Yep. When you and I started, there was no three-point line. And we adjusted. Yeah. And I go, that's true, too. He goes, we'll adjust to this, too. So, you know, I think coaches are just going to have to be uh, adaptable, as will the student-athletes. In fact, I don't even think I should call them student-athletes anymore. <laughs> um, seriously, <laughs> because they're not, you know, at the highest level, no. which is so no. sad because truly at places like Furman and Yale and uh, Ohio University, they really are student-athletes. I, yeah. I, think, I think in summary, before before I monopolize my time, we ought to just break away the top 75 that play at the highest level that have been wheeling and dealing in the big money for many years. You know, put them in a separate category, do away with March Madness, and let everybody go back to being student athletes and NIL and whatnot. But the top 75 really are professional, semi-professionals. They're really in competition with the G League, and that's probably how it should end up. Hate to say it that way because yeah. it makes me sound like I'm crass, but I've been around this for 40 years, and this is different than anything we've ever seen. Fran, on that, we'll let you go. Look forward to seeing you wear those uh, USA colors. All the best. Have a great summer. We appreciate the time. My pleasure, Kevin. Great to see you guys. Thanks, buddy. See you go again. USA. Thank you. That's ESPN analyst Fran Fischilla. Great to have him with us. He has been a friend of our show for a long time. Really appreciate him uh, spending a few minutes with us this morning. Chris, a couple other things as we uh, finish up here. Uh, there have been movies about Jim Valvano over the years, and there's going to be a new one, a, a new biopic that Ray Romano will play uh, Jimmy V. Uh, Jim Strauss is going to write it. The Valvano family will be the executive producers. And it, it it's interesting in the timing in that next season, it did not occur to me until I read this earlier, it's the 40th anniversary of their famous win over Houston in the NCAA final in Albuquerque back in 83. The Derek Wittenberg to Lorenzo Charles uh, last-second play that beat one of the great teams of all time, really, that Houston team with, with Akeem and Clyde Drexler and that whole crew. But uh, another Jim Valvano movie, and uh, Ray Romano seems like uh, he would be a good one to play uh, play Jimmy V. Yeah, uh, you know, he's he may be a little past his prime as a big star, but I learned uh, when I worked on that movie 42 that what you look like is important in the casting process. Uh, I got to be friends with Chadwick Boseman's double, uh, and he didn't like super closely resembled him, but he was good enough. Right. And he did all the base running. So, uh, so Chad wouldn't <laughs> bust up an ankle or tear an ACL or something. Uh, the kid ended up making a hundred grand. Wow. Uh, and he followed the production all everywhere. It went to Birmingham and Atlanta to Chattanooga where I was at. And so what you look like, is huge in casting. So that brings to mind, who do you think they would choose to play Dickie V? 
And I even asked some of my uh, students who are movie fans and sports fans, and I came up with Vincent D'Onofrio, who plays Doc Ock in the Spider-Man movies. Uh, if you look at him when he's bald, I don't know, maybe, but uh, you'd have to cast Dickie V in a, in a movie about Jimmy V mm-hmm. because they were thick as thieves. Uh, Jason Alexander, maybe, or... Uh... <laughs> that could do it uh congratulations by the way to uh steph curry graduating from davidson with the uh with a ba a major in sociology he had been one semester short of graduating so uh that was announced over the weekend and also his former warriors teammate damian jones graduated from vanderbilt here in nashville just last week so cool to see those guys and there have been a few other uh former student athletes that have have gone back and finished their degrees. So congratulations to Steph and to Damian. Uh, that, that's good stuff that they were able to, to get, get that cool. coursework done. Uh, he, uh, he tweeted out, he, he said it was a promise he'd made to his mother and a dream come true. And he said, thanks to my whole village, it helped me get across the finish line. So I looked it up. I wondered what he meant. And it turns out that he, uh, he had just one semester to get through. And he had help from two professors from Davidson, one from Stanford and a UC Santa Cruz professor who had taught Curry while they were both at Davidson. Hmm. So I don't know how you get a semester's worth of work knocked out when you're an NBA superstar, Uh, but kudos to him. I think it sends a positive message. It also gives him a chance for his number to finally be retired at Davidson. They don't retire your number unless you graduate. Uh, I remember uh, this is a great story. Uh, in 2009, it was obvious he was going to leave after his junior year. So I live in Chattanooga, and Davidson was at, in, in the Southern Conference at the time. And uh, I said, I need to go see this game because that's going to be my last crack to see Steph as a collegian. 9,000 people turned up for yeah. that game. Uh, they haven't had anywhere close to that since for any of their home games because everybody knew Steph was gone, and they wanted to, to get a crack at him. But – uh I think it's uh, it's great. Uh, on the Davidson website, it says preparations for the Western Conference Finals prevented him from attending the ceremony. It's like, <laughs> come on, man. You couldn't get on a red eye and, or a private jet and just pick it up. But I did click on a video on Twitter, and uh, Davidson did theirs outdoors. And when Wardell... Stephen Curry, the second's name was announced, uh, the place went bananas. Oh, I bet. That's very cool. Very cool. All right, Chris, to finish up, uh, my son Reed and I, we've made a couple little baseball trips uh, this summer. Uh, we went to Cincinnati, and actually we called a college game in Lexington, too, when Vanderbilt was playing in Kentucky. We did that a few weeks ago. And this last weekend, we made a little impromptu trip over to St. Louis. And it made me think about my oh. friend Chris Dorch, who is, of course, uh, from the St. Louis area. Uh, and uh, and also, it also got me to thinking about other college basketball and, and pro basketball figures from that area. There, there are a lot of good basketball players and coaches and so forth from that uh, St. Louis area, which, you know, includes you know, St. Louis and then also, you know, the, the western part of Illinois, East St. Louis, uh, just across the river there. Uh, I was thinking about Jason Tatum and Brad Beal. I uh, looked up a few, David yeah. Lee and Larry Hughes, LaFonso Ellis and Anthony Bonner, JoJo White, if you, you go back to uh, go back a few decades. Conzo Martin. Yeah, Con- Conzo Martin, Louis. another one. Uh, and then I was thinking about, okay, what about people I actually know? I know Chris, of course. Uh, our friend Kevin Stallings is from, from around there. My buddy Drew Hanlon. Drew Hanlon is from St. Louis. He is a total St. Louis guy uh, who played at yep. Belmont and has gone on to uh, 
fame and fortune as a, as a trainer to the stars. I love Drew to death and uh, just really happy for his success. So uh, it, it was cool to think, you know, on a baseball trip about basketball people from that St. Louis area. And Reed and I had a great time. We went to the Cardinals and Giants game on Saturday. It was a beautiful day, and that's a great ballpark. So uh, we had a good time over there. That's awesome, man. Next time you need a, a, a if you need a, a tag along for that journey, uh, <laughs> I'll be with you. Yeah, I'll swing around uh, and pick you up on the way. I, I hate to admit this, but I, I'm I'm uh, been around long enough to have seen games in Old Sportsman's Park mm-hmm. uh, in St. Louis, and uh, actually had a guy Dal Maxville, the shortstop yep. uh, during their World Series teams. He was from my hometown of Granite City, Illinois, which was right across the river from St. Louis. So. I grew up loving the Cardinals, and because I'm from Illinois, I grew up loving basketball. So I was shaped from the very beginning. Uh, Dal Maxwell was a uh, coach for a long time too in the in the big leagues. Yeah, and he was a great shortstop. I don't. I, I, he may have won a Golden Glove. He was certainly Golden Glove caliber. Sure, he couldn't hit his weight, <laughs> but he was a great shortstop. Well, that'll uh, wrap up this edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. Uh, thanks again to Fran Fischella for joining us, and uh, Chris will do it again next time, man. Looking forward to it, brother. He's Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. We'll talk to you soon.